You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. I know I'm being a little bit of a a diva about this, but you're making my job way easier. So I appreciate it. Okay. Hopefully it works. I uh... Cana- Canadians are usually pretty nice. So it's, she wants to make sure you're happy Bracken. And I'm being selfish. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be selfish. It's the difference between one hour of editing and two hours of editing. So time is precious. It, it is. And, and are you part of the, uh, like the Calgary crew? Is that where you live? Yes. So Emma and I are pretty close together. We train quite a bit. Well, a couple times, once a week, probably a couple times a month together. So we're all based in the same neck of the woods. That's really helpful. (laughs) I feel like there's something in the water up there because the more I'm like getting to know sport and people, the more I'm realizing how many stud runners come from your city. Why is that? Well, I'm not originally from Calgary. I'm originally from Ontario, but I think the reason why there's so many amazing athletes out of Alberta, Calgary area, is they grow up with just like a lifelong active lifestyle. Like, you know, they grow up in the mountains, their families value mountain sports. So like at such a young age, they're just climbing, biking, you know, canoeing, paddling, all the sports. So as a result, their physical literacy just is above and beyond those people in the other parts of the world. <laughs> Physical literacy. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, studied in the health and physical education world. So that's probably why that, yeah. It's a whole degree now. You didn't take long before dropping a, a <laughs> fanatical bombshell on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that is something that I want to dive in eventually with you. I have a degree in, in naturopathic medicine, holistic nutrition as well. It's a correspondence degree. So I don't I don't have like a true went to class physically degree, but many years of study. So we're going to have to get into that at some point. Awesome. I see you have like, sh- what running store are you at? <laughs> this is my uh, recording studio. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. I love it. Most people have pictures of their family or their children in their office, and I have <laughs> I have my <laughs> the things that are important in my life. Exactly. It all, it's all it's all um personal anyways. <laughs> I have a la- a laundry hamper behind me full of dirty laundry. How do you like that that I'll- view? <laughs> it's it's pretty nice. I got a treadmill. <laughs> oh yeah, there it is. See? See, this is actually a monumental day for me, yeah. not to make this about me, but this is the last time I'm recording from this very spot. Did you know that, Bracken? From here on out, it'll be the new house. This is it. Ariel, you are you are signing us off of Kirk's oh. inaugural recording location. Let's go out with a bang. This That's is right. the end of an era. It really <laughs> is. So I want to know, what do you, what do, you do uh, Ariel, at, what is it, 9 o'clock in the morning where you're at? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Um, that you can just, you know, chat with us on a Thursday. What are you, what are you doing with your life that allowed you this freedom to chat with us today? Well, well this is a bit of a, probably a, a secret, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know how impressed my boss would be with this, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> I work, um, I'm marketing communications manager, uh, for a outdoor distribution company. So I work with both B2B and B2C, um, business and we distribute different, running packs, running shoes, headlamps, compasses, all the fun stuff. So I pretty much 
work in an industry where I'm like sponsoring and dealing with like contracts and sponsorship events, sponsorship athletes and all of that. So I work from home. It's remote. Um, it's pretty sweet because it's flexible, allows me to travel, allows me to race. Um, and then like, I don't know many other people who get to go like backcountry skiing and running with their boss. <laughs> so that's kind of cool, cool too. Um, so that's pretty, if fun. it helps, we're recording this on 5 PM on a Saturday. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm supposed to be there on Saturday. Cause we also, um, we met, we like host different. So, uh, this year we're responsible for a, the first Canadian skyrunning race. So as a result of COVID, we got it got canceled, but we're gonna go down this weekend and sort of run the course and it'll be fun. <laughs> but yeah. It sounds fun. like you have a pretty good gig. Yeah, I, I feel spoiled. Yeah, I work in a shoe, like we have a retail store, so all the shoes on the wall seem very close to home. <laughs> yeah. But. Yeah, I feel like it's every runner's comfort zone is to be surrounded by all their shoes. Exactly, exactly. Every, every room in my house looks like this. My kitchen, my bathroom, everything. <laughs> shoes. Who needs picture frame pictures these days? <laughs> but by the way, Bracken, I told you I think I had more shoes than you. I, I just got done packing these last two days, and Bracken likes to brag about how many shoes he has, and he has a lot. I counted my pairs of running shoes. I don't shoes. brag about it. It's like a habit. I try to keep it under wraps. <laughs> oh, well, 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 I counted. I'm I'm donating 23 pairs of running shoes that I no longer serve a purpose. And I wow. kept roughly and I kept roughly 25. Okay. So I'm over. I'm about 50. And they say girls have shoe problems like that is, <laughs> that is well, a lot. All, all running shoes. And then my like normal person shoes, I got like three pairs. <laughs> so it's, you know, that's what, how many do you have? Not there that many. Go. I think I have, well, not maybe like five. Like not a no. lot. Yeah, I throw them out. I use them. They, mind you, I do a lot of like rock running, mountain running. So like shoes don't last very long and they're on to the garbage bin. But yeah, two. But when you need that, when you need that pitching wedge out on the golf course, <laughs> that one time, you keep it in your bag there just you in go. case. Right? And it could be because I come from, I was just a student for the last gazillion years of my life that spending all my money on running shoes is not uh, not going to feed me at the end of the day. <laughs> Kirk and I had a conversation just off camera yesterday on the phone with each other. And we were talking about how obnoxious it is to move as as someone with outdoor enthusiastic tendencies. Because you have an obnoxious amount of gear and our significant others always say like, you'd never use this. Let's just get rid of it. But we were talking about how it's like you have that one piece of gear for that one specific weather and you yeah. never need it. But the one time you need it, it's worth having and it's not <laughs> worth rebuying. So you have to keep it. And I'm sure like in the gear industry, you are one of the few people that can get it that, yeah, you have to have a whole storage locker worth of things because gear is everything exactly i have a lot of running packs I'll, I'll admit to that the amount of running packs i have is probably a little much um, my wife thinks it's really obnoxious how many waist packs and chest packs i have like you just find one that works it's like well i need one that's only front loaded and then one, one that's only front loaded but with hard bottles just in case i'm doing like something that could puncture it and then i need something that's back loaded for a big day and i need Three different waist styles depending on speed and terrain, and no one, no one gets that, Ariel. So I, I I'm you. glad you can come on from the industry and set people straight. 
It's like it's it's essential. Yeah, exactly. I agree. And socks, <laughs> gazillion uh, pairs of socks. Yeah. Because <laughs> who does laundry? Like. <laughs> <laughs> In my defense, in my defense, I would like to say I'm 38 years old, and I realized my oldest pairs of shoes dated back to when I was like 26, maybe. I had like that one pair of spikes. I might jump into a track race. I got three old pairs of VJs in every model that I now will like cut the grass in. That I'm like, do I need these around anymore? So in my defense, I'm not just swiping that credit card for no reason. And I collected a lot over the years. You, you'll have your day. You know what? Let's talk when you're 38. All right. Well, I got 10 years. I'm sure I will accumulate that many running shoes in 10 years. <laughs> you probably will. I, I want to know how does, um, getting back to you, how does uh, uh, holistic nutrition tie in with your current role? And what, what, what did that all, like, how did that play out? Well, uh, I think your guys, you guys are going to learn. I probably have the most like mountain highs, valley lows. And like, you want to talk about the long way around places. Um, that was definitely my journey. But um, high school, I got really sick. Um, so risk of heart failure, massive digestive issues um, resulted in ending my tracker early. I lost my I was on sort of path to be a division one long jump and triple jumper and uh, ended up being in on bed rest uh, for a year. And so then I kind of went down this alternative health meta, uh, route and started studying and didn't like what the doctors were telling me, kind of started doing some deep diving into nutrition myself, um, and then went to university for a year, decided it had nothing to do with um, studying like food science um, and agriculture, decided I wanted to work more on the human side, then went into holistic nutrition, worked in that space for a little while, and then was like, Moved out to Alberta. My partner told me to finish my education because I at least need a undergrad to, to might as well finish my under, finish what I started in that regard. So, bachelor's of health and physical education um, in sport management seemed the easiest with all of my world at the time. So, yeah. But if we start with a chronological story, I can touch base on that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty long. Like, I don't know. I, I was, um, like, athletics started with, I was a sprinter, I hate, or a jumper. I hated running to somehow managing to, like, represent Canada in, like, ultra marathons for 100 kilometers. Like, just, like, woo! So we did some cursory research on you, Ariel. We did our fair share of internet stalking, and we knew the, we knew the end point, your current yeah. end point, which is world record, former world record holder in ultra running. Yeah. It, 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 at no point did it lead me to believe you got your start as I was going to be a D1 long and triple jumper. <laughs> I did think, I thought that might be a curveball for you guys. <laughs> we, we learn something new each time we do a podcast, but I have never heard the field event to ultra story. You might hear the the middle distance to ultra or soccer to ultra or even John Albin, like roller hockey to ultra, but mm -hmm. jumper to ultra is brand new for us. So again, we're closing out this 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 uh, first transitional point of our season on a bang. Kirk, this is rare. It is. We got a couple of teasers. We got two world records in endurance athletics that you formerly held. We've got 
the health story, which I want to touch on with you because uh, that sounded quite familiar, didn't it, Bracken? It's the very reason I got into alternative medicine myself was a was a health problem. Um, so we gotta we gotta unwrap this thing, don't we, Bracken? Listen, let's just get into it. I feel like you two are going to get off and run in with your crazy health health stuff between your black plague for Kirk and bedridden heart arrhythmia or whatever we have going on with with Ariel. So let's. I'm going to sit back and let the no no <laughs> the, the two uh, med ward people get into it. Med ward people, what a label! No, let's do, let's do it. Let's go back to the beginning. Start from the beginning, and then we gotta we gotta get to a lot of cool stuff with you. Um, so Bracken, I know you like to bring us back, but I'll bring us back, I guess, today. And and that is, you're not you, you're not from Calgary, but you're originally from where? It's called Battawa, Ontario. Uh, Quinney West might be the largest area. I'm small town, uh, Ontario, um, east of Toronto. Population what? Oh my gosh, my 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 town, like my actual town, was probably like 300 but we're close to other towns that are a couple thousand and then it's larger now like we're looking at a million people um in the Quinney West area you know you're from a small area when when someone asks you about your town size you start quickly trying to grab <laughs> onto another local town to, yeah. <laughs> to raise your ranks up um yes uh if most of my friends uh have dairy or dairy farmers rode on tractors to prom if that wants to sort of paint the the small town uh. rode on their rode on their tractors to prom did you yeah. say yeah <laughs> <laughs> we're from the dairy land yeah. ourselves but, oh, really? <laughs> but but i i, I rode an automobile to prom yeah, okay I, I did too but my friends definitely there was definitely a few guys there with tractors so. That's good. How how far away was the like let's say a hundred a city of a hundred thousand? How far away would that have been? That'll give me some perspective. Oh, okay. First of all, I have to <laughs> Google. She's got to look. That's all that matters. Honestly, I know enough now. <laughs> um, okay. Well, there's about twenty five minutes away. A uh, town of fifty thousand. Okay. So, so then a hundred thousand would be about an hour away. Yeah. I'll, I'll accept that, but I'm getting a, a, a picture now. And did you grow up on a dairy farm? No, I grew up in uh, a community. I did not downtown grow up in the farming world. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Actually, I grew up in so Badawa. They used to be um, shoe producers. Uh, so back in after World War II, they built they produced shoes there, and the Mister Bada built this community for all the employees that worked at a shoe factory. So. Um, that was sort of how my town got started, um, which is a side note. <laughs> but yeah, pretty uh, basic life in the community world. And is that is that flat land like uh, topography or geographically? Are you are you looking at pretty flat terrain out that way? Yeah. Um, okay, that's what I thought. And growing up, so you uh, you grew up downtown. <laughs> and you, and what what was that like? What what did you play sports? Obviously, you were a fast switch athlete. I uh, so I did play sports. I was definitely um, a very natural athlete. I think you know all through elementary school and even through high school, I played six sports a year: basketball, soccer, volleyball. I swam. I played badminton. Did track and field. Ran cross country. I was the sort of all all-star athlete, I would say, from the first year that award started going out right through high school. Um, 
And then when I got into high school, I was able to play um, most of those sports at a provincial level because the coaches in the older divisions would like call me up to to play for them because I was fast. I could score. I could outrun everybody. Um, wasn't always like the most best at, like technical, but just the they saw potential. So got lots of experience um, at an early age at provincial and national level. Um, but my journey into track, like track was definitely my all year round sort of traveled for this sport um, starting in grade six. And oh, really? Yeah, I started quite young. And it's a funny story because so my parents got divorced when I was like grade four. It's not humorous so far. I know I went to my <laughs> yeah. I went to my uh I wanted to do track because I was like, Mom, I think I'm like good at track. Like everyone at school tells me I'm like, you know, I'm beating all the guys in long jump, just like and I'm talking like we didn't even it was literally like gravel gravel pit into the sand pit and we just like jumped and like mark it with a stick and super backyard style and <clears throat> anyways she wanted me to play piano lessons I hated music uh we got in a massive argument I went to dad's dad signed me up for track mom was a primary caregiver mom was mad because she was gonna have to drive me around all the time to these meets and I said I was quitting piano to do track and uh she didn't talk to me for a few days and Anyways, I got to go to the, my first track meet was this indoor track meet in Windsor. And it was like six and a half hours from where I lived. Um, and it was provincials. So I, I went, my mom refused to drive me. So I just was like, fine. I'll this story somebody. gets funnier and funnier. <laughs> I yeah. find somebody to like. She has a weird sense of humor, doesn't she? <laughs> <laughs> well, she wouldn't bring me. But then anyways, I went with some local people. And I remember that, uh, that meet, my first provincial meet, I won both. Uh, gold in long jump and in triple jump and I just came home and was like so mom I guess I'm kind of good at this track stuff and you should just like let me let me do it now and that was the the start of my my track career um you took a six and a half hour road trip with with random community members yeah yeah (laughs) not not legal probably this day and age but um I mean I guess my parents are from Newfoundland we just trust our neighbors and get hop in the car and get on with it so faster than a tractor uh is it fourth grade i'm sorry what what time frame are we at oh this is sixth grade okay just wanted yeah timeline there okay so in grade six i started competing uh provincially um and then grade eight i was competing nationally um in long jump and triple jump uh i guess like grade six to grade 10 was very similar i was just doing track um all year round. Well, I did indoor and outdoor track, and then I would run cross country just for an off season, something to do. I hated running, like absolutely hated it. I used to be like, why would anybody run long distance? Like it just looks so painful, so awful. Like jumping is fun. It's like, you know, you're bounding and playing in sand. Um, So really loved that. And then grade 10 was definitely one of my best years um I think I set 13 records that year um I also ended up starting to do 300 meter hurdles so just had a just for the third event and that that's year, a brutal I, event yeah I actually came up in my memories today from East Regionals where I fell really hard at the second hurdle in my 300 meter event and missed qualifying for provincials um Ugh. but yeah, so grade 10, I was um, qualified 
in three events to OFSA. And that was my, probably my best year, but also my breaking year. Uh, being real quick, being, okay. So you're real, <laughs> you're real in, in the track stuff, but you yeah. said you were, you did six sports. Is this yeah. all going on simultaneously? Yeah. Even, even at this high level track stuff, you're, you're in some level showing up to official competitions in the other five sports at, yeah. throughout the year. Yeah. I don't know. Have we had a six sport athlete bracken? Uh, four, maybe five, not so, six. The fall I'd run cross country and play basketball. Uh, in the winter I would, um, play volleyball and do indoor track. And then the season between volleyball and outdoor track and soccer, I would play badminton. And then, so it was like cross country and ba- cross country, basketball, uh, volleyball, swimming, and badminton. This was all in grade 10. And then uh, soccer. I think there's seven here. And track. This is my biggest year, but this is also the year I... Uh, I That's set. anyone's biggest year. Yeah, but it was like the year I set all these records. And I was just having fun and I was fit. And I would like, you know, I didn't have access to facilities. So it was stairs and plyometrics during off season in the wintertime. Um, so I just think that just being an all-around athlete was ultimately how what made me good at what I did because I never felt super strict, was never super linear, was always fun. What was the biggest correlation that badminton gave your ultra running career? Oh my gosh, nothing. I, I'm just kidding. That's not a real question. <laughs> I wasn't very good at badminton. I think we only would make it to like regionals. We, we'd make it like on, but we weren't very good at it. <laughs> Um, it was Did fun, you fun. show glimmers of hope in cross country at this point where it was like, I could be decent or were you so apathetic towards it that it never showed through? Like I always, I was always the fastest on my team. I was always the, like would run at provincials every year. Um, we had a pretty good team, but I mean, at provincials, I'd just be like top 50, maybe like top 30 on a good year. Um, so definitely not a not a super strong runner. How many long or triple jumpers beat you at provincial cross country? None. <laughs> uh, yes. No. Long or triple is definitely my, my sport. <laughs> Traditionally, when you watch a jumper run, it looks like they're always doing their approach, no matter what pace they're running. They're always doing that slow, lopey, boundy jog stride that just erodes really quickly. Yeah. You it did you have some of that or were you just able to run normally and then also explode when you wanted to jump? It just explode. I was like a sprint jump type of person. Um Okay. Yeah. You were a power jumper? I was a power jumper. I was long, a pretty, lopey. No. Small but mighty. Small um, but mighty. Yeah. I uh I have a story, but I'm probably just gonna leave it off recording because it has some racist comments in it that I don't know is fully appropriate for the story. But that's probably best. Yeah. <laughs> Not from me, but it was from towards me. Um, but yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Are you, do you, do you hail from a very athletic family? Because right now it just seems, I understand like there's that sort of the small town sports phenomenon, which is like, if you're a good athlete in a small town, you get pulled in a million directions because yeah. they want you for everything. So I'm assuming there was a little bit of that, mm-hmm. but obviously you, you're in a big town or a big school. I think you would have been picked 
to do all these sports anyways. It sounds like you're pretty uh, high level in most, maybe other than badminton, apparently. <laughs> and swimming. But, um, and swimming. Yes, so do you, do you run from like a like a family of stallions or how? What's that? Look Not like? my parents were both active. Um, my dad did competitive skiing and competitive cycling, but definitely I was just driving myself, not physically driving myself, but I was the primary driver behind what I wanted to do. Um, my parents never forced me to do anything. Um, I feel lucky that my, since I was in a small town, um, the sport opportunities came like very inexpensively. Uh, so you could play a lot of sports and you didn't have to pay. Uh, so that way you got to do a lot of, you know, different, different stuff. <laughs> so no, my parents were athletic, but definitely did not compete or weren't athletes by all means. Not totally a follow-up, but is it badminton, shuttlecockist? What, what, what's the, what's the accepted vernacular for one who plays badminton? I have no idea. A badmin- badmintoner would be. A badmintoner? <laughs> I was not a good badmintoner. <laughs> it can't be. So when your shuttlecocking days were over and you moved on to, you're running provincial cross country, you're not a loping stride, you're a powerhouse who can explode. Yeah. You got to 10th grade, you set 13 records, and then you said that was your breaking year. Yes. Uh, so I probably the highest high I had, but followed by like the lowest low. Um, so between grade 10 and 11, so I was starting to get, um, recruited to go to schools. So early, early in grade 11, I was like writing LSATs, writing all those U S tests that they make you do. Um, if you want to go run in the States being Mm -hmm. flown everywhere to look at these schools. Um, and I just burnt out. Go figure. Um, I think I just based on your jumping. Sorry, I'll be recruited yeah. for jumping. For jumping, yeah. Okay. I had like a few like Canadian. Most of the Canadian schools reached out to all of them. Reached out to me um, and said like, you know, if I came, they'd probably want me to run cross country for them as well. Um, just because I wasn't the all star, but I was still had potential there too. Um, so depending on the school I went to would determine sort of where I focus. But definitely jumping. Um, did you have a, a school in the U S you had your eye on? Uh, not really. Like I looked, um, I really wanted to go to Notre Dame. <laughs> that was yeah. sort of like my, my dream university to go to. Um, but also like Western and university of Calgary in Canada, uh, were really attractive to me. Um, but I got started to lose a lot of weight in grade 11 um and as somebody who's a small jumper like it didn't what didn't take long to start like having some health issues when you start losing weight and we didn't really know why because I hadn't changed anything I was still doing everything how I was normally doing it it's not like my volume dramatically increased or my food patterns changed um I just think the accumulation of stress and pressure resulted in me like stop I kind of stopped absorbing things Later found out I had like a gluten intolerance, um, irritable bowel syndrome. Um, So I was put on bed rest because my heart started to go funny uh, just because I wasn't absorbing food. Um, And I ended up taking grade 11 in the fall season. I had a really strong cross country season, but then really awful uh, 
track season to the point that I was like, I still went to provincials, but I wasn't jumping. I was jumping like, you know, not to my full potential or not where I could be jumping. And I just pulled myself out of sports for my senior year. Um, So I guess when you go from being the provincial, the top athlete in even almost the nation, top five in the nation to not showing up in grade 12, you kind of, people wonder what happened. Um, When did your bed rest start? Grade 12, my, my senior year. Um, and how long senior, did that last for? Six months. Six much, months of bed rest. Pretty much nothing. Yeah. Were people just grasping at straws trying to figure out what happened? Yeah, I was pretty sad uh, and like pretty torn as to like what I wanted to do because like I love track. I, I still like I don't think I found a sport that makes me as excited as track did. Um, I just loved everything about it. Um, so I was always torn between like, you know, I look like a distance runner now and like maybe I should just start running like when I'm done or maybe I should like really like find a solid team of people to get my muscle mass up and to like bring me back to a place that I really want to get back to. Um, but uh, Kirk, you asked a question in there. What year? Um, no, well, uh, I have a couple things now that I want to go into. Of course, I think Sir Bracken's chomping at the bit now. You got <laughs> the wool. Well, um, first of all, like being in high school, like obviously this is your identity. This is your yeah. social circle. This is absolutely everything. So, um, it's easy to, not easy, but easy to stand on the other side of something like this. And now you're progressing with life and doing some big things, but like in the moment, like that is, that is, is the worst thing that could ever happen to you because, it affects every aspect of your life and your being and your identity and all of that. And at a young age to go through that mm-hmm. is a really freaking difficult thing. Yeah. So I had to feel isolating and alone and scary and all of that. So just like knowing, like I imagine it was all of those things for you, right? It was awful. It was like, I had like, you know, social, like I was social. I was like, you know, I just loved being out and around people, but then, being so small and being sick and like, you know, then the rumors start, um, you know, eating disorders, things like that. And then now I'm the sick girl. Like I used to be a track star and now I'm this like sick girl who like my last year of school, I was, so they ended up putting me in an eating disorder program because all my medical stuff, other than like my heart was fine, but like my bone density was like, you know how the doctors are like very like fit into boxes, like, None of the digestive issues. This was like 20, this was before like any form of digestion issue and gluten issues um, were sort of known within mainstream med- like medicine. Um, but yeah, so they said, look, this is the only thing that makes sense. And I went into um, like program for that. And I think I went twice and I came home and I was like, mom, like, this is not my issue. Like, you know, I, I've heard these girls speak. I see where they're coming from. And like, I, like, I'm sad for them, but like, this is not like, this is not where I'm at just seeing like the difference in behavior. Um, or even just thought, so I refused to go back stubborn. I like was supposed to be going into like, a hospitalized program for that and I refused to go and I think at that point my parents were quite concerned because to them this was the only form of hope in like I was gonna be I had a solution like you know when you when you don't know what's going on it's nice to like grab on to something that makes sense and then kind of hope you get an outcome 
but I refused. And I said, like, you know, I had started doing some of my own research into IBS, um, Crohn's disease, gluten, sort of paleo grain free diets, um, and came across this in grade 12. And was like, I'm going to try this, like, give it, let me try this for a little while. um, And like, let's see what happens. Like, I'll still so at that time, I was getting blood drawn twice a week, and I was getting my heart tested once a week. Uh, so I used to say, like, you know, my track practices were now all these, like, medical appointments, making sure, like, my heart wasn't going to stop beating in the middle of the night. Um, so I agreed to still do all my track, all those check checkpoints, um, but then I just focused on food for, like, three months. And all of a sudden I was gaining weight. I was getting healthy. I had life back in my face again. Um, energy, just everything started to turn around. And that sort of, again, like three months was a huge difference, but I mean, I had like 25 pounds, like I had quite a bit of stuff I still needed to work on. So yeah, that was sort of how that all went. (laughs) That was you. You spearheaded. You did it. Did you have a team behind you or were you just like, nothing is making sense. And so I'm doing this like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. Stubborn. Kind of like how I said, I'm going to join track and you're going to, you're not going to believe me, but I'm going to show you it's going to work. Same sort of. And that was a bit of that like competitive, like, all right, trust me on this one. I have something to prove. I'm going to prove it. I'm going to figure it out. I had found like there had been similar stories like online that I had found. And like, you know, although it's only somebody on the internet, I knew that what the medical doctors were saying to me is like, yeah, I'm not just a number. I know I fit like really within this profile, but like, that is not like my issue. Like it's, I don't care like what's going on. So yeah. Pulled out of medicine. (laughs) Numbers are always tricky when you'd start talking weight, but I think for the gravity of this situation, I'd like to understand like how much did you lose over the course of that year? Uh, I, so I was always if you're comfortable. Small. Yeah, I was always small. Uh, I was around like five, four, five, five, you know, 110 pounds at my like peak. Um, then again, like we're talking grade 10, right? Like junior, you're still mm-hmm. not fully developed at that stage. Um, I was down to less than 70 pounds. So this is. Yeah. Severe. (laughs) Bedridden was not, was not an overreaction. No. Yeah. My heart was slow. That's what I wanted to ask specifically about your, your heart. Like what was your heart doing at the time that was cause for concern specifically? It was just very like slow, like the slow pattern. Uh, So that was, I, I'm pretty sure that was what was going on. Just, they were concerned that it was going to just eventually like stop going. Um, Cause you were so malnourished almost yeah. in a sense. Yeah. You were five, five and in the sixties for pounds. Uh, six high sixties, low seventies. Yeah. And still trying to jump. I stopped at some jumping. I, I, I stopped around probably like, I think I stopped when I got below uh, 90 pounds because I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, nothing fits, um, right? It's not like I was, I wasn't a tiny runner. I was like, I had muscle on me, like going in, like coming out of high school or coming out of grade 10. So it didn't take long before. um, And as somebody who was very performance driven, like, I go from jumping like, you know, five and a half meters to jumping like five meters flat. Like, I'm just like, I'm not, 
doing this. Like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> so when, when it got to that point, I was like, I'm out. Got to figure out what's going on. How do you, uh, first of all, to take control like that as a high schooler and everybody's telling you otherwise, I see how the finger was pointed very easily in that direction. I can understand why that would happen hearing that, mm-hmm. that sort of weight loss. Um, looking back, like, can you make sense of this? Because this is what I struggle with with my own health story, which I don't need to get into today necessarily, but I still have a hard time fully making sense of why and how specifically it happened and what triggered necessarily at the time for it to just turn my life upside down. And so now that you have more perspective, can you make sense of this? Totally. Can you actually, you can. Okay. Well, good. I'm glad you can. I was a horrible eater. Like I was just like process, process, process food. I didn't like fruits or vegetables. I like, you know, I ate, I ate lots, but I ate a lot of junk, a lot of sugar, a lot of junk. But that's the typical, let's say typical Canadian, typical American diet. That's an extreme reaction from the body. Yeah. Right. So why, why did that happen? You should have gotten chubby, you know, it's in a true. Sense. so like, so like make sense of that. I think, I guess it always, I pointed to diet and I want to say it was a bit of like a diet stress reaction. Like, although my training volume didn't change from grade 10 to 11, my like, um, I started like driving to the city, the bigger cities to, to train more, like just the pressure increased. So a bit of like that mindset intensity, um, lots of going around that. I don't know if it was just something I don't, I don't fully know. Like if it was just a quick snowball, snowball effect. Um, cause when you were as active as I was and all of a sudden your body stops losing, starts, um, losing weight. Um, it doesn't take much to realize like, Oh, she's lost some weight. Like it. And then I think the last little bit when I got a bit smaller, um, was primarily a lot more muscle mass. Cause I had just stopped doing things, right? Like if you're not doing anything, your body's going to catabolize mass- muscle because it's a good source of energy. So I think like, although when I stopped doing everything, I got smaller, it was more because I just stopped doing everything. Like I think, I think, yeah, I don't, I wish I could say I know exactly what happened. <laughs> I wish I could go back and do it all over again, um, but I can't. Would you? Uh, it's tough. I still miss jumping. Like, yeah. I, I still miss it. However, like your life, my, I wasn't going to be an Olympic jumper. I probably would have had like a really awesome university experience. But I think between like that situation sort of made me who I am today. And that situation led me to like a lot of different things I would have never done in a million years. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. You didn't have, you didn't have any diagnosed celiac, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's, any official food allergies. There Uh, was nothing that, an intolerance or an allergy? An allergy. Yeah. Okay. True allergy. Um, Yeah. But on the grand scheme of things, normally you would see that drastic weight loss with, we just had a guest on Nick Riker who got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and he was down, what, 25, 20 pounds in months in his life. But he had, in a sense, it was, we could label it, right? So for you, well, a gluten thought, allergy. They thought, they they did test me. 
So the problem was, is when they started to go and test me for some of those things, I had already sort of removed a lot of things, but I never was officially diagnosed with like a ulcer colitis. Yeah. No. Mm, okay. So more okay. irritable bowel syndrome. I've been di- irritable bowel syndrome diagnosed with that. Like I still suffer with that today, um, but no ulcer colitis. Yeah. Yeah. So you took the reins. You... And you basically self-diagnosed through a lot of research. You did what the the team of experts around you couldn't, and you started to come out the other side. What happened then? I, I assume this is still the end of senior year your, or your 12th grade that you're starting to come out of this or no? Grade 12. So I took a year off um, and I just focused on healing. And then through that, once I sort of, once I hit like a healthy place, like I think once I was up over a hundred pounds, I started running, uh, because my heart was fine. Like everything was good. Um, so it all came back in tandem. Yeah. Like, I mean it, as soon as I started eating, it was or not eating. As soon as I started like healing my, my gut and absorbing nutrients, um, I, I gained weight. Like as soon as the, you know, like the um, malnourished bellies people get, Mm-hmm. That was literally what it was down to is like, I had this like massive, cause it was just like nothing. My stomach was descended all the time. Everything hurt, like it hurt to eat, um, towards the end. So as soon as I, I changed everything, I went from eating like probably zero vegetables to, to eating everything and anything, just like forcing myself, um, and your taste buds change, but yeah, came back. I want to slow this story down because Sorry, Bracken. I just, I got to dive into the diet part real quick. Like what you did specifically um, before we move on. There is going to be someone out there who identifies with this. And I think, yeah, Kirk, you're right. More description is going to help somebody. Yeah. I would like to hear what you did and why. Uh, So paleo approach, no grains, um, high fat, um, high fat diet. um, And just, uh, probiotics, glutamine, uh, gelatin, bone broth, like all this stuff that's like pretty loud right now, but was still quiet back then. And I started incorporating, um, and glutamine, bone broth, all the heal the lining of your gut and soft tissue, and then cutting out super inflammatory, uh, responsive foods like grains, dairy, I obviously along with that. So you went, and you went all in. Not like I'm going to cheat, like zero, zero wavering from that. Yeah, it was, it was pretty all in. Like it was my life. Like it was my sport. Fixing myself was um, what I did. So then, yeah, that's really what I, and I still follow that pretty closely. But again, like I found like back then I was eating for health and now I'm trying to eat for performance, which is very similar, but um learning to shift a bit more from like high fat to a bit higher carb has been actually some of my biggest challenge because my gut doesn't like it, but my performance and my legs don't love being under fueled in the carbohydrate department all the time. (laughs) Um, So yeah. That's a tricky balance on depends like paleo. Some people even will stay away from like potatoes and stuff or, you know, Mm -hmm. beans, things that take a long time to cook, but it's a tough balance. I, I direct a lot of people to paleo in the, in the weight loss and just feel better department. And then we end up getting to a point where suddenly they've lost their weight and now they, they want 
maybe some performance goals. I want to run a 5K better or 10K better. And this is the average everyday person. Mm -hmm. And then we shift to that and they're tired or they don't have the cellular energy they would like. And then that's like a very tough balancing act to play when you're trying to eat that way and fuel for performance. So how do you do that? Uh, I'm I'm still learning. Like it's a lot of, um, I, I think I still follow a lot with paleo. Um, I do eat potatoes. I didn't eat a ton of potatoes when I was first healing, um, just cause they are a nightshade vegetable. So again, more tend to be more inflammatory. Um, but I sort of do try and do a bit more carbs before and after find what works, what works for me. Um, but again, it's still a balance. Like I am, it's not easy because for one, I never, I have, it's a habit at this point. It's, it's a go-to when you can't just eat a sandwich, it's and gluten-free bread's disgusting. You know, it's a lot more prepping and um, you can only eat so many like bananas and rice has been a go-to, but I don't love, again, I don't love how it makes me feel all the time. Um, so smoothies. I'm learning, learning to do a <laughs> blending stuff, but it's, yeah, it's, it's challenging. I will not try and sugarcoat that at all. When for five years, you're just, I feel good on fat. I like, I do well. Like when I was in the altar space, it actually served to my advantage, I would say. Um, but now I'm trying to, to, you know, get that three percenter in the world of obstacle course racing. Um, and sure. My, my blood, analysis tells me like I'm burning fat quite at a high level and I'm my inflammatory markers are like super low. Um, but there's workouts that my legs can't like, I see a five to 10%, five to 10 second increase on my splits with the same perception of effort sometimes with carbs in the tank. So it's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I want Kirk, I don't want to derail yours because I, I want to hear more of your mind because you think about things during this that I don't with your background. But I do want to just have you explain that, get to my 3% in obstacle course racing. Do you mind explaining exactly what you mean by that? Well, I, I just feel um, my long, like my times for like 100K and 50K are quite fast compared to like my 5K, 10K. And in order to be at the top, running with most of the top girls, I need to get faster at shorter distance. And I think I need to be able to obviously run faster at shorter distance. And that's when you're talking about having more glycogen in the tank and you're not relying on fat stores to run faster and recover and do those quick track workouts. So Mm -hmm. And what's your 3%? What, where does that percentage come from? What what does that reference? I don't know. They just like, everyone says like you're in the top 3% sort of like the top the oh, top okay, of gotcha. the pool, yeah. <laughs> well, for being fair, you're 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 beyond three percent at this point. Yeah, probably more like the one percent, but <laughs> yeah. okay. Sorry, don't want to derail that, Kirk. Kirk, her back up. Well, no, I'm 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 happy enough with that. I think the the key, uh, just understanding you went paleo and grain and dairy free. Um, sounds like you've implemented some grains, but you know you kind of pay for it. But then it's like I'll feel good in my workout, but I'll feel like shit in life, like sort of balance, which is tricky. Um, I, I'm understanding. Um, And it's interesting uh, just to touch because you like nutrition. So um, I'm reading a book right now. It's called The Athlete's Gut. I don't know if you've read it. It's new. Um, Suggest it. It, But it talks a lot about like the fructose component of it. And so grain-free diets tend to be really high in fructose. But athletes, fructose is high stress on the the, um, 
the gut, right? Like some of those sweet potatoes and things like that. So I think one of my biggest takeaways with nutrition and for anyone listening is just like, don't try and fit into a box. Like, you know, I can't eat apples before a workout or after a workout because I love apples, but they hurt my stomach. Um, they're paleo. Yes. You know, they're, uh, they're good food for whatever category you fit in, but they just don't work for, for me because they're high fructose. Um, so yeah. Okay. Do you have to rely on liquid carbs? Is, is that easier on you or because those are so sugary, is that something that backfires? Uh, I do use liquid carbs. Um, I will be honest in that I've probably never properly consumed energy for an event. Like I think, you know, we talk about gaps and all athletes have gaps in mind in the like race performance, because as somebody who's suffered with stomach issues and had had has had workouts like go completely off just because I tried to fuel properly, I'd rather know my stomach's not going to get upset and run a bit more on empty. Um, so that's another gap, but definitely liquid, liquid glucose, sugar and water and salts, really something yeah. simple, um, is my go-to. Do you guys fiber. see this, 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 uh, darkness just, just fell here. Yeah. What happened to you over there? <laughs> like a giant storm cloud just rolled in and we just dropped like 15 degrees and it's like, it looks like it's almost nighttime right now. <laughs> you, you look like you got tan really quick is what it looks like. You look like you suddenly were on the beach for oh. a week. I would give anything to be able to tan. <laughs> yeah, this is this is wild. We might have a lot of noise we have a, coming our way. We have a rainstorm too right now. It just let up. And we got clouds. Somebody just knocked on my door and I ignored them. So we all have our own quandaries going on in our areas. I hope it's not an emergency. Um, well, I'm happy moving on from the diet for now. I think okay. I think we can progress. I just wanted to get some sort of an idea I'm, there. Kirk? Bracken, Bracken wants to dive in more. Go ahead, Bracken. <laughs> no, I, I just – what she said, that last piece, is something that I, I hear a lot from – more from random messengers that, that message us after races. And the message is always, you know what? I, I had a really good race, but I came up short, and I just know I have to dial in my nutrition, uh, my fueling before a race because I just didn't have enough energy to get through the race. And my general response is, you probably had enough, you didn't have enough fitness. Yeah. But And, and I, I'm not saying that's correct across the board, but I kind of want to hear you talk about the idea that you can perform off under fueling if you are trained to the event. It sounds like you kind of subscribe to that. And I'm curious about that because it's it's a really easy button to push to just say, oh, I was under fueled. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think it depends on the event. Um. Like anyone who runs with me knows the days I've eaten carbs before and I, and the days I haven't like it, it's, they call it my switch. Like it's, but as the event goes longer, I'm like a second hacker. Um, my first hundred K I ran off of two gels and I had ran negative split. Um, so yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. You took in 300 calories over the course of what? Eight and a half hours. My first marathon, I ran negative split uh, six days before my first ultra with three months of training because I was out with a humerus. I broke my humerus in a snowboarding accident. Uh, so, again, it, that's my <laughs> – yeah, so I ran that with one gel. I had no idea. Yeah. Hold on. We're, sorry to stop you. Were you – you're, you're such an anomaly as I'm starting to understand. I, 
were you fat adapted at this point or were you still relying on? I was. So you were, in, you were into some sort of ketosis. Yeah. So I don't know if I was in ketosis. I was never super strict. Like I never followed anything. So fast forward, like I'll just, I, I fixed my gut. I, I decided I was going to go to university, went to Dalhousie. I ran for college level cross country for a year. Um, and again, this year I would say I was a, a, a big fish in a small pool. You know, I set some cross country records there. I broke the provincial cross country record there. Um, but I was by all means, like if I went and raced like with Emma Cook or any of those girls, I would got my, my, my ass handed to me. <laughs> um, but then I just, I, again, I didn't love running. I still missed track um, or jumping. And I decided that I was going to, um, that year, like, you know, my dad's house burnt down. I just had a hard last sec- section of that year that I decided I was going to move back home. And this is when I started to study nutrition. And I worked at Whole Foods. And I didn't drive. So I biked and walked everywhere. Um, and I just decided that high performance sport was not was not for me. I, I wanted to get my education. I want I was done with sport. Uh, so I thought. And uh, yeah, broke my arm in an accident. And then I was listening to a podcast about ultra running and this guy ran like this hundred K race. And I thought that was super interesting and um, seemed like a a fun challenge. So I decided I was going to sign up for uh, ultra marathon, fly across the country to do this race uh, three months after I had broke my arm. So first of all, you're giving up sport, but you're listening to an ultra podcast, which makes no sense. I didn't. I I didn't like it. It was just cross like, country is too much running. I don't like that. Let's try a hundred K. I didn't like that lactic <laughs> burn. I've never liked it. Like in jumping, you don't have like, you know, your legs hurt for 10 seconds or 12 seconds. Like you run 30 meters to the pit and you like, you know, you can jump for days, but you never had that like 800, 1500 meter threshold training. Like I, I mean, I feel, that's like a huge gap for me is like, okay. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I, I get that. It wasn't the running. It was the anaerobic running. Yeah. I hate it. I still hate it. <laughs> this, this story you're telling started with me asking if you were fat adapted. Yeah, <laughs> this is why. So I think, yes, I was fat adapted because of my journey into ultra running was like, very bizarre. You were focused yeah. on your health, not performance, and your health required a low carbohydrate diet at the time. So by default, you may or may not have been in ketosis, but you were definitely yes. utilizing fat more than the normal athlete. Thus, that's how you got to the start line, able to do that. Got it. Yes, that's what I That's what I would say. <laughs> okay. Th- th- this is the wild part. We generally give our general, in air quotes, recommendations for where to start fueling for an ultra event. And we say, start at 300 calories an hour. You know, let's let's start from there. Dial yourself in one way or the other. And you said, let's start with 300 calories per 62 miles. (laughs) Well, I I went under the, like, (laughs) I don't know, eat when you're hungry, drink when you're thirsty. Um, So I, I ran. Yeah, I. Okay. You, you don't feel like those signals are liars in the middle of events? Well, now they are. Like, I would say, like, 21, young and naive, like, whatever. Like, that's where I was at. Um, like, my first marathon, I ran six days before my first 100K and showed up with, uh, 
a handful of gummy bears. Like I didn't even bring anything really. I was like, Oh, long run. You know, I think it'll take me like three hours and change. I can handle this without anything. Um, Luckily, someone on the course with 7K to go gave me a gel and I felt like I had new legs. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of a fun experience. But yeah. <laughs> All right. So you flew across the country off three months of training. And how did that 100K go? Uh, turns out it was the national Canadian national 100K event. I got third. Got third overall, finished first in the Oops. female, and got A standard to be invited to run at World Championships three months later. <laughs> Off of two gels. <laughs> yeah. And a salt tab. Someone gave me a salt tab at 50K because they're like, this girl's here by herself. I don't know if she has water. I don't know if she has a crew. Like, take this. Like, And I was just like, okay, I'll take it. And things were spinning at that point. So it probably actually was what helps me finish the race. Um what kind of course was it? It was 10 kilometer loops. So you like elk beaver. It was very flat, but trail like gravel, probably gravel biking um, with a little bit of a hill, but very pancake uh, flat. And you just ran <laughs> in circles. What was your previous long run prior to this 100K? Uh, the marathon six days before. <laughs> okay. So you got that out of the way. You're like, I can definitely yeah. run 26 miles. Let's go do 62. Yeah. Just flip those two numbers in, in order and we're fine. Not a chance you were recovered from that marathon either. I mean, if you really raced it. Yeah. I mean, it was funny because like I hadn't, I didn't run with a watch. I had no idea like times or anything um, meant. And I remember running with a group of guys before and just telling them like, yeah, I just ran the Mississauga marathon before, um, you know, I went sub three hours and uh, they're like six days ago and you're running today. And I, they're like, who are you? Like, it's like, oh, I'm just running. You broke, you broke three uh, well, in your first 301, marathon. Three flat, 301, I think maybe. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, but yeah, uh, that was my longest run prior to that was 5k race racing. Generally after a marathon, a lot of people don't run for a week. Yeah. You shook out with a fifth with a hundred k and took third overall, first female at the national championship. Okay, so that that's that's we're accurate on that. <laughs> yeah. Where where are the voices of reason in your life? None, none. Like I, my mom was like, "Well, she pulled herself out of the hospital. I'm not going to pull her out of a hundred k race." Like, um, and I just remember like going back to the doctor who had given me the go to run again by all means he did not give me the go to run 100k and the funniest thing is the hardest part about going from having a broken arm to like I used to like stand in the mirror and just try and figure out how to swing my arm again because I hadn't used my arm for so long um doing that but no voices of reason just um mom I'm going packing up flying across the country by myself it's fine I'm gonna run this race <laughs> I'll be fine generally people Generally, people run their first ultra. They have a little bit of that like post-race slump, but they're like, you, you, the bug bites you. And you had that, I'm sure, combined with a bunch of people knocking on your door all of a sudden because you were successful and you were suddenly on paper the best ultra runner in Canada. And so I assume that you had all of the usual emotions that I want to do more, plus people saying, please come do this for me and this. What was that like? Uh it was, I think it was a really big high. Um, just like the high kept going right into world championships. 
I did race worlds that year. Um, do you, how far post was that? Uh, I think worlds was in September and this race would have been in like May, like in an around. Oh, you, so you had time. Yeah, I had a little bit of time. I was really fit going into that world championships. I actually felt like I could shave quite a bit of time off my time. Um, but I got probably like I got a lung infection on the flight over. Um, I shouldn't have raced. I was so sick this day before. Uh, I think I just had that like stress tone drop. And then like, you know, when your stress tone drops and you generally get sick, that's what happened to me. Um, but I had a pretty big low after world championships. Um, that's when I moved out West. I like hopped on us. This is again, no voice of reason. Mom, I'm going to go spend some time, stay with our friends in Calgary uh, for a month or so and hang out here and that's what I did after worlds but that's when like that low sort of hit because I was injured <laughs> I, I want to just ask I don't want to bring this conversation back to wait after this uh, with intent anyways but for perspective were, were you at this time back to like mm-hmm. my pre getting sick quite, high school weight no you... I was like 100 I was heavier I was probably like I think I sat around probably 115, 120 pounds, and then racing weight was probably around 108, 110. I was, I was. Okay, so you gained all your, you gained all your weight back, and yeah. you were, you were in a yeah. nice stable pattern that way. That's all I was really wondering. Where, where you know, you outlined like, um, I brought it up before on other episodes, but like the Lance Armstrong, you know, situation where he got cancer, lost 15 pounds, right. and then became the best endurance cyclist in the world. And he credits it to his weight loss. And I just didn't know if um, there was any change there for yeah. you. But I'm glad it sounds like you went right back to homeostasis, we'll call it. So that's good. Okay, cool. You said you were injured. You came out with your, you went in with a lung infection into Worlds. And you came out with what? Hip injury. <laughs> really bad hip injury. Um, and some sore quads. Yeah, like hip, lung, quads. Just, again, like the volume, the sheer volume, I like zero to a hundred, you know, and then hundred again, is just like any, but any runner is going to crash when you're, especially when you're doing like long flat running, like it's not even like trail running or anything like that. It was long flat running where you're literally like pancake, even one pace wonder type of splits. Um, so yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Came out West. What happened? Uh, came out west. My friend asked me if I wanted to go back to California. Uh, this story is important because it's how I found, went to California, and we end up crewing our friend at World's Toughest Mudder, uh, obstacle course racing. So I, this is my first exposure to the sport of OCR. Um, saw her sort of doing that and was like, hey, like, this is my sport. I was like, because it reminded me of high school, like just being able to do jack of all trades, master of none type of sport environment um so that was when I was like I want to try this OCR sort of thing so she started um she ended up coaching me after that I still focused on uh I wanted to go back to worlds for world 100k again so I still focused on ultra running for a year or two after that but then I started incorporating this cross training through OCR so it was like my incentive to to cross train and lift weights and move in different planes of um, pattern, I guess, movement patterns. Um, so I did that and started like 
I think the year after my hip injury, I did OCR and I did a half Ironman. Um, this just sort of totally changed it as a base train as my base training to run my next hundred K. Cause I wanted to still, I knew I'd get invited back to run in December. So I, I wanted to do that as my base training while my hip healed and then string together a final build for the next. So that's what happened after that. <laughs> what year is that we're talking? I think 2017, 2017, 20. Yeah. Cause in 2018, I raced my first, like 2018, I went down um, to, I did some 50Ks. So I ran national 50K. Um, but it was interesting because then all of a sudden I liked training for obstacle course racing more than I liked long flat running. I now lived in the mountains. My part, my boyfriend was a mountain, he's a mountaineer. All my friends were ultra mountain runners. So I was like doing all this long flat road workouts and then playing in the mountains on the weekend. So it was just like this weird sort of combination and a lot of like push pull of like wanting to hit certain times for long flat road running. Um, so did they work at odds or did it kind of round you out and bulletproof your body? I think it rounded it bulletproof. Like it definitely rounded me out from a ultra running perspective for sure. My times improved. Um, I did, I think in this time I, um, broke two Guinness world records for the fastest 50 K and hundred K on a treadmill. And then, ran the following year I ran 50k and then I was like you know what I kind of want to like figure out um this OCR thing and before we before we get there you glossed over real quickly that you held two world records and and they're they're not easy records to go after it's not like something you give it a shot and if you don't do it yeah I'll try it again next weekend you went after the 50k and the 100k treadmill world record how did you target that are you a treadmill girl I love treadmill running Calgary winter suck. Yeah, they suck. I just love like the rhythmic feeling of my feet spinning over and over again. I mean, I am over hundred kilometers. I will never run hundred kilometers on a treadmill again, but I love the 50 K because like the 50 K is like still long that you can be like bit utilize that fat adaptation, but it's short enough that you can actually like get fast at it. Like, you know, you're starting to look at running, you know, for females, like, I mean, the females, are getting stupid fast because all the fast marathoners are coming over. But yeah, so I, the plan, I did it for a fundraising event and the goal was that my 50 K split would be set. My hundred K, my 50 K split for the hundred K would be fast enough to break the, the hundred K record. Um, the 50 K record in route. The 50 K record. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the second half. Yeah. And it worked. <laughs> it did. So you broke both. So you set both world records in the same day. One was in route to the other. So it was one effort, two records. That's efficiency right there. I like that. I know. I mean, you're running on a treadmill. You have to be efficient. <laughs> this was a fueling mishap going way wrong because I actually tried <laughs> to fuel for this 100K. Uh, being like, oh, I should probably eat more than two gels for 100K. Like, I think I'll do better. And I want to kind of start off. But I don't want to blow up the second half. And I got just so wrong the first 50k the second half I could not I was sugar I was putting sugar water in my mouth and spitting it out that's all I could take in for the second half of the 50k it was it was rough <laughs> it was very rough uh. um but yeah 
Whenever I hear about people going after treadmill records, because they've they've become kind of uh, in vogue with the Chasky Challenge and and all that. If people haven't looked it up, check out the Chasky Challenge, C-H-A-S-K-Y Challenge. Just like a, it's a track meet on a treadmill, basically. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Pretty awesome. But that's where they recently set all their world records. Um, But it's becoming trendy. But whenever I hear about it, I think what is their setup like? That's where my mind goes right away. Like, were you watching something? Did you have a playlist set up? Did you have like tables lining the treadmill so you could grab water? Did you have plan for bathroom break? Did you, what did you do with sweat maintenance? Mm -hmm. Because the treadmill can get so slick. So I want to hear about what your actual tactical setup was like to run 62 miles on a treadmill in theory, without ever having to stop, get off or deal with any mechanical issues. So I was lucky. We did it at the a big marathon local here. We did it at the expo. Uh, so we had, since it was a fundraiser, we had, there were four, there was, I think, six different records going on that weekend. So we had all these treadmills set up. We had, I was doing 50K and 100K. The guy next to me was doing 12 hours and 24 hours on the treadmill. And then there was a guy and girl team going after that like 24 hour where they all rotate and run a leg. Um, so we had a whole row of treadmills and then each group got two two treadmills. Um, and then they had a, a table sort of set up with different f- food uh, that you could could grab. Um, and then we had a bunch of fans sort of across um across there which made it a lot easier like you could keep cool I planned to take a bathroom break at 50k I hopped off the treadmill went to the bathroom and got back on switched treadmills and then I ended up peeing on the treadmill (laughs) for the last half of the 50k because I was like not gonna get it if I did not if I didn't so uh, (laughs) that was the benefit of having two treadmills is like you could just like pop over to the next one but uh you had your pee treadmill and your in your clean treadmill yeah, and you're not thinking straight at this point because it's like it's always like 10k to go. I have to go to the bathroom, like always, like without a doubt. And you just gotta do what you gotta do, <laughs> I guess. Did you pee while running? I did, and I did. I, I it actually was practice because I raced World 100K was a few months after that, um, and it worked because I had to do it again <laughs> for, for World 100K. <laughs> I, how do you how do you do that? I tried peeing one time in a race while power hiking up a hill, thinking this is my best opportunity, and I realized like <laughs> this is a fruitless effort. I need to stop, let my heart rate come down, and continue. And I did. It was in my first attempt at a fifty k. You're running pretty slow though, like for a hundred k, like it's it's a pretty like slow easy jump. My trick is take a, a bottle of water and like I dump the water down me while I'm doing it. So like I don't know if it's just like having the water run down your leg first that's like, "Oh, you can you can do this." And then it kind of cools you off and then you're not sticky and yeah. <laughs> I I this is going to sound like why are we even advising this? But the same way you have to train to fuel while running, you have to train to pee while yes. running. Because it's, it's, but it's not a physical thing. It's a mental unlock it to be able to just actually relax and go. I've, I've run three or four ultras. I peed my pants during all of them. (laughs) And the first one I had to do while hiking and the last one I did in full stride. Really? I see. I think it'd be hard to do it hiking. I don't know. Unless you're power hiking. It it was the only way I could get myself to relax. (laughs) I did like a half pause to get it started. But yeah, once you, it, it, (laughs) 
it only takes two or three times to practice before you actually get like that that switch you can unlock to relax and push. That is an arrow that is not in my quiver. Yeah. It is just not. It's like yogic breathing. Every step is like. It's like milking a cow. It's like milking a cow. I'm going to try this on my next run just because. You know the most impressive mid-race pee that I've ever heard, by the way, which I think is honestly should be like somewhere in history, is we talk about him once in a while, but our buddy Mike Ferguson, I think it's two years in a row, he peed in the swim in Tahoe Uh, in that water. Yes. I mean, that was everything has gone into hiding, including my bladder and everything else in that swim. To pee in that swim uh, is incredible. I pretty like every that's, time I'm in the water, you just gotta pee. It warms you up. I'm, a, I'm. A... That's when I peed in Tahoe. Was after the swim, I mm-hmm. peed on the next climb to try to warm myself up. I, I held my pee going into it as a as a tactical uh, bladder release coming nice. out. <laughs> but I can't imagine peeing so. in that water. That's what I'm saying. All right, continue. Yeah. I don't know where we were. All right, so so you're you're sitting there. You're at, you're at a major race expo, peeing on the treadmill. People are cheering. <laughs> like it's spraying off the back. You hop onto the clean treadmill. How close was that final 5K? Um, well, because the treadmill, like you can't, like, you know, if the pace is set, like it's all pretty much metronomed. Um, I can't remember what the difference was. I just remember I was either at one point I was, I was not good like this is probably like for me this treadmill attempt was like the first time it actually felt like that all my ultras before had felt quite linear they felt okay they felt you know pretty I wasn't had that like awful pain moment but this one was one of those ultras where it was like oh man this is what ultra marathons feel like um so they miscalculated. They, I thought I only had like a couple K left. And then they kept saying, no, you still have another kilometer. You know, you still have another kilometer because I was switching back and forth. Um, but yeah, I was, I don't remember how close it was, to be honest. Um, the 50K was a couple minutes. Um, the 100K, I can't remember. But I remember being like, I'm either going to fly off the back of this treadmill. So like put a crash mat there because like, I, at that point, I was not very <laughs> conscious, <laughs> I would say. So, yeah. but you did the whole thing without like something to watch. You were at an expo and you were just locked in. There were people around for the yeah. atmosphere, but it's not like you were like watching something on TV or anything. No, that's tough. No, and that the last, the last, I think probably hour, my for some reason my iPod just kept playing the exact same song like over and over and over again. And it was like, how bad do you want it? So it was just like over and over and over again in my, in my ears. That's great. You just kind of go. What was your time and what's the average pacing of it? I think I was eight thirty five, eight thirty three, Um, and then my 50 K was, would have been three thirties. No, not 330, 340-something, 343. Um, So you're looking at, like, roughly just over five-minute kilometers. No, yeah, 515, maybe. It was not my best. Yeah, it was not my best by all means, but I can – I don't know what that is in miles. I know a five-minute kilometer is, like, an eight-minute mile. So you ran roughly just over eight-minute mile pace for 62 miles? Yeah. 
And is there any, um, when you do treadmill attempts, is it 0% incline? How are the treadmills calibrated? What are the nuances there? Is there a process there? So there is a process. Yeah. I don't know. I think it, I want to say it's like 1% that you have to run at. Um, the, there's two different ways. I think Guinness has theirs and then there's the treadmill world record, like Federation or whatever. And theirs is that you can have any, you can change it as much as you want. You can go up as much as you want. It just can't be at a decline setting. So you can switch up to 3% for a while to shake your legs up or go down does not that you really want to do that, but you're in total control of it. As long as you don't use the decline setting. Right. That's how I understand it. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, yeah, I think I might have. I think I played with the speed. I don't remember if I played with the incline. Gotcha. So you ran like eight twenty per mile for sixty two miles on a treadmill. Yeah. With yeah. terrible Something gut like issues. <laughs> yes. Was that the hardest like mental effort you've ever had to do because of the lack of stimulation, or was there, or was it not? It was definitely the hardest mental effort. Yeah. It was. Uh. Yeah. You seem to self-impose some pressure and anxiety from time to time. Mm-hmm. That environment, rather than racing for joy, racing to set a record, was that difficult for you? Or were you able to compartmentalize that a little bit? I was nervous for the rec- I was, yes and no. Um, leading into this race, they thought I might have a stress fracture. So the first, the, like, <laughs> leading into it, I was like, going to all these doctor's appointments. I was doing like all this pool running. Like I wasn't actually physically running because I, I was like, okay, well, um, if whatever's going on, as long as it doesn't, I don't aggravate it going into the race, I should be able to like tough it out for the, the, the event. Um, so I had that pressure of like not having done a lot of running going into it, but also like not wanting to bail on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, really enjoy competition (laughs) so I like kind of liked having that like drive um being a part of the event like made it really easy a lot easier when you wanted to quit it was like I remember one guy on the treadmill next to me like looked over and was like finish what you started and I was like oh crap like he just was like you know like keep going so um yeah but I do probably wouldn't do it again (laughs) it's a pretty serious thing to hear in middle of an effort finish what you started yeah. that hits hard yeah yeah <laughs> were you having moments of weakness where this gentleman thought maybe she's going to step yeah. off were you displaying those I, moments of weakness I was in rough shape I couldn't eat I thought my stomach was so so sore um I I uh my friends like at one point they were trying to like find the rules out like if I fly off the back of the treadmill can they catch me and put me back on like what were the rules around around that but yeah, because you have to have the treadmill totally stop before you can right. step off, yeah. right? So they were figuring out all that. But the good thing with a treadmill versus like running on the road is like 60K is always when I have like a rough patch. So like if you're running on the road, you kind of just like naturally sort of slow down. But the treadmill is like you mentally have to like press the button to slow your pace down. So there's like you have to take that step, which kind of forces you to be able to to dig a little deeper, I find is like, I can't slow these legs down, but that's just me loving to run on the treadmill. <laughs> what was the first thing you did afterwards? That four hour window afterwards, what'd you do with yourself? Oh, I did. I don't even remember. I think I had friends over. 
we went out for food. So you had a day, a normal Probably. day. Yeah, I couldn't walk. I was really beat up after that event. Like, <laughs> it was pretty rough. Yeah, that was bad. I was going to ask her if she cried. Probably. I cry a lot. I cry a lot in races. It's how I know I'm doing a, having a good race. It's like I feel like my body's just exerting everything. So it's like, okay, let's have an emotional release. And then I keep going. <laughs> Did you wind up with a stress fracture? No. I get all these phantom injuries, I call them. They just like aggravate and they're annoying and then they go away. Knock on noggin, I've never had a stress fracture. Despite all this wow. crazy stuff, I've it's because I don't run. Like I don't love hard running. <laughs> Says the girl who so runs hard often probably... for long periods of time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. did you choose shoe-wise for a uh, hundred can of treadmill? I wore Ultra. Uh just the flat really? one. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you traditionally run in? Not now. <laughs> I find them, they feel quite slow now, but I do run. I, I did race in those shoes for three races. Huh? They were like my racing flat. Yeah. Now I kind of, now I just run in whatever I have. <laughs> I'm more. Not much. You don't have many options. No, I run in Hoka's right now. I need new shoes, but. So what happened after the, if we're moving on then, what happened um, after this treadmill world record and your uh, endurance career? I went to Worlds again uh, for 100K. Um, had a 20-minute PB that race, so that was exciting. I was happy with that, wanted to finish. Then that achievement made me want to, I was done with 100Ks at that point. Um, and then Team Canada how did you year, fin- How did you finish there? 14th. Yeah, I finished 14th that year. And then Team Canada got fourth, which is exciting. Awesome. Um, And then after that, I was doing some OCR racing in in flirted in here. Um, At the time I was still on I was on the national I was on the Canadian OCR team, I believe, for this event and I was flirting with the idea of leaving ultras and focusing on um, OCR a little bit of an all or nothing type of person in that regard. Um, so then at the end of this year, cause worlds was in December. Um, I decided I wanted to take a crack at a fast 50 K and then I wanted to have a, a solid OCR season the following year, like go to Tahoe. 2019. Yeah. In 2019. So I raced the 50 K Calgary marathon, um, had a really strong performance there and then went and did Tahoe the that following year and had a good a good year there too um 2018 or 2019 i think uh, let me look 2019 you were 13th or 14th which one were you yeah uh one year i was 13th at tahoe and then 2019 so it would have been 2018 i was 13th 2019 i was hypothermic you and everybody else that one hit hard that was rough so you went from 14th in the world 100K to mm-hmm. 13th in world Spartan race championship. So you kind of just like switched lanes and picked up right where you left off. Yeah. <laughs> Which like- one at that point in 2018, you were top 14 in the world for both. Yeah. Which one did you see as having your higher ceiling? I thought I had more potential in obstacle course racing just because of the nature of how I like to train um, and my lifestyle. Uh, I felt like with 
and then again, like with hundred Ks, I, I was too young in a sense. Like I felt it ultimately came down to like, you have, as you guys know, like a short window to get faster. And I felt like I had this huge gap in my ability to get faster because I had just gone to like super long. So I knew that I had the ability to go long, but I also was like, my area of weakness really hung over me like a dark cloud of like, you need to get faster. Like you just can't keep running forever. Um, and yeah, so uh, I was excited about some potential with obstacle course racing. Um, and I just really love working on my weaknesses and coming from like a long flat road runner to Tahoe mountain, technical climbing, heavy carries grip. There was just like, everything was my weakness. Like there was like pretty much nothing there that was like, super strong at so that was exciting like to have things to work on no i i would say as far as like the ocr world knowing who you are i would have to argue that i would say west virginia 2019 was sort of your coming out party yeah in a sense yeah um tell, tell me about that um so when I decided to focus on going from OCR, like switch over to OCR, I actually had a ton of injuries. Like I had like, you know, I'd roll an ankle one season, I'd blow a knee, I'd roll my ankle again, I'd dislocate my shoulder or sub dislocate my shoulder, just from like having not fully developed that stuff. So then going into West Virginia was the first time I felt like, man, I have a I have some training strung together. Like I felt very confident going into that race. Um, and I was just really excited to race. Um, that was the first race where I actually felt like I was jumping again. Like I had that like exciting feeling to like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna compete today. Um, had a really rough race. Like first half of that race was like, I failed, had four penalties in the first like few miles. Um, it ran a penalty loop, three sets of burpees, just like rough. And I just remember standing up from that, um, that my final set of burpees and being like, you got to go. Like, if you're going to kick, you're kicking now. Like I had no idea where I went. Cause when I fail obstacles, I just turn myself around. So I can't see how many places I'm losing. So then it's kind of like that reset when you stand up. Um, and I just ran, like, I just ran really, really hard. And I knew the second half of the course was technical running and a lot of it. Um, and I just think the way it was like heavy carries and technical running and not a lot of grip intensities, I was able to like red line into a carry. I'm quick through like more difficult type of terrain. And then, yeah, it played to my strength the second half. And I remember coming out of the swim and being like, Oh my God, is that Faye? Like, I just not realizing like I was up there. Like I was like, either she's having a bad race or like, I'm kind of like back in this thing. Um, and it ended up being I was quite close to Faye and quite in this thing. <laughs> so I was like making jokes in the water, like just kind of lollygagging. And then I was like, I should probably like pedal to the metal if I want to want to do well. And yeah, that was a yeah, by all means, one of my best races. In what place did you end up? Fifth. You did three sets of burpees and a penalty loop. And the women in front of you, I believe at least the first two did none. Yeah. And took fifth place in the North American championships. That's incredible. I actually didn't even know the burpees were involved in your performance, which even makes you more of a stud in my eyes. And those were oddly (laughs) slick obstacles, weren't they, that morning? It was very dewy. Oh, yeah. It was just like, it was weird. They were like obstacles I've never seen before. Um, They were, yeah. 
I fell like, you know, that water carry where you like had to carry a log in the water, like face planted, drop my log, like had to, I just had a rough start. I was like, (laughs) which mentally I'd planned for. I'd like really in my head, like, you know, when you like visualize your race, I'm always like, just, I'm always bad at the start. Like, just like get it all, get all the ugly out of the way at the start. And then I know at the end is when I like tend to be able to like clean up. And I just think that's because of ultra, like it's just able to kick the second half. Um, so yeah, that was West Virginia. That is a very rare talent to have in our sport. <laughs> there are, there are, I would say five people or less men and women combined who can make moves in the second half of an OCR race. Kind of the par for our course is everyone gets out too hard because of bottlenecking and obstacles and technical terrain, not wanting to let people get out of sight and just some foolish race tactics. And then everyone outside of the person who wins kind of seems like they're just playing this bleeding out game the rest of the course. And to have that ultra weapon in your back pocket where you can say, I'm going to be better in the second half than the first, it's really, really rare for our sports because most of our athletes come from something else and learned running along the way. Or you perfected running (laughs) for hours and hours and hours, and now you're sharpening down. Right. Yes. Yeah. I'm trying to get faster. Like I, I think I do struggle with the the speed component, but definitely I enjoy the the nasty. Which I never thought I would be like a technical person, but realizing 2019, I was like, oh man, all my strong races were done on technical crap. Best races. Um. So West Virginia was that. It was still kind of flat too. It wasn't a lot of climbing. Um. So, yeah, that was West Virginia. And then I actually had some strong races in 2019, but I got disqualified. So uh, went down to after Tahoe um, was a write off. I was pretty bummed about that one, as most athletes were. But again, like we like to point our fingers to Spartan in the weather. But there were some mistakes I could have. There were some things I could have done differently that would have at least kept me in the race. Um, so I think there was some lessons there, um, but went down and raced New York and actually managed, like I won that race and I was, I was racing with Faye and we were like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that was the first race where I like ran with a really known name and that was super exciting. Um, but again, the course played to my strengths and not to Faye's strengths, but we got disqualified. We got lost. Um, so it didn't count, but it counts in my heart. <laughs> what is your, cause then 2020 was kind of a wash, right? So you finished that up and then 2020, did you race 2020? No. Did you, you didn't? Okay. Um, I graduated. That, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> That's, what That's a big deal. Um, but, but like when, when we look at all this, you are on the OCR dream team as well. So you're part of that crew, which is awesome. And I can clearly see why I don't think there's any mystery there as to why you were chosen, which is great. Um, Like, what is your goal with all of this now? Like, how committed are you to seeing this thing through? What are your hopes and dreams as as we say? Um, I'm pretty all in right now. Um, Definitely been focusing on racing, hoping to make it down to Utah, actually, in a couple weeks. Um, And then just, I mean, I need to clean up my obstacle game. I think if I can get some consistent obstacle practice under my belt, um, 
I'll be able to at least string together like some strong performances. Um, I think my strongest performances were still not raced on clean. So be cool to see there. But I mean, sometimes adrenaline and burpees makes you run faster. So it's, it's hard to say. Um. I disagree. <laughs> one, one of the two and it's not burpees. Uh, you're just doing them wrong. <laughs> I'm just using. Um, I, I did 240. That, that could be. I did 240 burpees in my first Spartan race, so I, I have a, a burpees are close to my heart. Uh, but uh, I'm okay to not do them anymore. I stopped practicing them as a excuse to to not have to do them or a justification to not want to do them. Uh, but yeah, American series I'm trying to do this year and hoping. To be competitive, um, super sad that Nicole's out, but I think it's yeah. a good year for some of us new people to to come in and make some noise. Um, really stoked to get Emma on a course. I just, I'm, she's a firecracker. She's super fun, and I think she's gonna really challenge some of the running for a lot of girls. Um, just with her background from a, the mountain course perspective. <laughs> so, will she come to Utah with you? She can't come to Utah, but she'll be in West Virginia. When you're out there training, you're working hard and, you know, your mind will start wandering and you paint these dream-esque pictures and narratives in your brain about crossing the finish line first and all those. I play them anyways. Um, you believe that that's in your future as far as some of this? Like, do you, do you believe your top end potential is that of um, someone who can go out and win something big? Is that where you're at in your belief? Yeah. That's what I'm working towards. Um, I, mm -hmm. I think I have that potential. Um, I think consistency is like, you know, the athlete who is most consistent is most confident. And we know that's what when fitness happens. So I think as long as I clean up some of those gaps, I, I have no doubt that. Well, I, yeah, I'm working. I believe that I have that potential. You know what you need to work on to get there in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. How do you approach your, from a training standpoint? Cause you seem coming from like the long distance stuff. Um, OCR does seem fast and it is much faster and it's a much sharper pain. Mm -hmm. We'll call it. Um, how has your training changed? And what do you like If you had to give us a snapshot quickly, uh, what does it look like? Um, now I'm doing a lot more s speed work. Um, 2020, I had some injuries like flare ups. Um, but lot more like shorter intense stuff um i was mount, like uphill running i wasn't a i did a lot of like mountaineering style objectives i was really strong like going up but not strong at running up so cleaned up that a bit more uphill running lots of really just working on that lactic ability to push lactic ability to have a bit more lactic endurance um from a running standpoint uh I'm training with grit coaching right now. So Jess is like pretty, has some pretty nasty workouts. Um, a lot more thresholds running. I actually realized like everyone for a while, I was doing a lot of like short, like 200s, 400s, like those fast workouts that you would think, like if you want to get faster is um, what you generally do, which is true. But for me, it was, I was a sprinter. Like I have years and years and years of fat. Like I'm a fast out of the gun runner because I just have that memory from sprinting but I don't have that ability to run it for a long time so switching to more longer threshold running has been really helpful just from like a mental standpoint um 
And then I got a climbing membership. So I climb a lot now because I'm tired of doing burpees. So a lot more time in the gym, just like climbing and improving my grip strength. And yeah, so, you know, a tempo run a week, a threshold run a week, um, or a short interval session, couple weight section uh, sessions, couple times in the gym. And then I on the weekends, I'll do like a long run or a long day in the mountains. Um, so, you know, I still like struggle with the fact that I don't struggle with it, but my whole world is in the space of ultra. So like, it's way easier for me to go out and do a six hour mountain run on the weekend than it is for me to find somebody who just wants to run for an hour and a half or two hours. So I still do those types of days. Um, but yeah, and then biking, I mountain bike now, road bike, throw in some of that. A little bit of everything. Did I did I hear a, a threshold run, a tempo run, and an interval session, and no, a long run every week? No, two sessions and a long run. So I do threshold and then inter. Sorry, tempo and then either a threshold slash interval. So it's like Monday, Thursday, and then a long run are my three days. Got it. Yeah, that's what we did in college. It, it's a lot like cross country training. Mm-hmm. I find. Okay. Yeah. That makes so. sense. So yeah, and then right now with Utah, it's a lot of hill running. Um, so that's <laughs> trying to running up hills is not my strength either. So we're getting better, but <laughs> you're making that 45 minute drive into the mountains every weekend, I'm sure, or during the week to to yeah. hit those hills, right? Yeah, I'm jealous of that. <laughs> we're lucky. We're spoiled in that sense. It sounds like you're addressing everything that needs addressing. You're climbing a lot in the gym, mm-hmm. which is going to help with your burpees. You're working on your your anaerobic threshold and your staying power. You're working on your hills. I mean, if you were 13th in the world and 4th in North America or 5th in North American championships without those things in place, I'd say that it's a pretty rosy future ahead. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's not a compliment. That's a statement of fact. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to believe so. I, I still, yeah. It's interesting how, yeah, I'm excited. I've cleaned up areas that I needed to clean up. There's still obviously more to work on. There always is. And that's what keeps you excited on your toes. Um, but yeah, excited for the fact that most of the races in the national, like, the beast, like, you know, it's nice that it's a beast is always the championships. Cause I think anything shorter, we'd see something completely different and different athletes. So for me, that's an advantage, but I, I can see where other people would get frustrated because it's like, well, <laughs> beast is not my strength. Um, but yeah. Are either of you going to Utah? No, we're smarter than that. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Are yeah. you, um, are, are you, uh, still dabbling in any non OCR races then, or are you, like you said, you're kind of all in sort of. Yeah. So does that mean when you're all in an OCR, are you all out on any of that stuff? Or if an opportunity comes knocking, you're still going to entertain it or how does that look? Well, I'm, I'm kind of all out. Um, before I was like, always, I still would get invites to like, to be on the national 50 K team or the national hundred K team. But since it's been so long, since I've run anything, I'd have to run something now to be invited. <laughs> So I'm out, pretty much out of most everything um, uh, other than like some probably local like FKTs 
long traverses, um, things like that. But I'm in for OCR, and I think OCR gives you enough racing in a year that you don't really oh, yeah. need to dip your toes in anything else if you want to focus on a, a strong season there. Um, I'm going to do a sky race, uh, Broken Arrow um, mm-hmm. in Tahoe, mm-hmm. but <laughs> that will be fun. We'll see what happens. Other than that, if you had to design, if you had to design your perfect OCR course, distance, location for world championships where you have your best chance to win, what are you designing? West Virginia with a little more climbing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How long? How long would you make it distance? I would like like three hour range, like three hour time range. So I don't know, 25K, like three hour, uh, 30K in that range. Um, like ultras, like, so Spartan ultra, like I've thought about doing Spartan ultra. Cause I do think I have like, if I was to mentally commit to doing that again, I would be able to be up there in that perspective. Um, but I don't want to do 24 hours. That's very unattractive to me. I just feel at 24 hours. It's just, it's just not where I'm at right now. Um, I have a lot of friends who love that stuff, but it's just not where I'm at. So. Well, and that's an eating contest. Well, it's survival of the like joints. Like, I don't know. I just, yeah. I like the fitness component. Not, not it always comes out wrong. Cause like 24 hours, you have to be fit to be able to move for 24 hours. But I like the ability to like run hard for a shorter amount of time than to just survive <laughs> for 24 hours. Um, so. Yeah. It's actually what a lot of people don't think about with those really long events. I mean, even a 50K or for sure a 100K is, yes, fitness is a very, very large component of it. But your ability to handle impact and what your body does with that beyond fitness, that they're almost separate, is a whole talent that needs to be trained in itself. People don't think about that. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a huge, especially when you get into mountain stuff, right? As soon as you add in like change in elevation climbing uh weather you know you can go from being like tahoe for example snowstorm at the top and like that's when it gets that whole other strategy component to it yeah yeah so i did this race with a buddy kind of paced him for Mm -hmm. uh it it was a six hour looped course run 1.1 miles uh like 400 was it 400 400 feet of vert each lap and it was for six hours. Well, they just had their, they call it the mid-state mile. They just had it this last weekend. It's a backyard ultra. It's one lap. It goes off every 20 minutes. So 1.1 miles every 20 minutes with 400 feet of vert. And it ended up, they ended up going 122 or 124 laps. Wow. That's so many. And the two guys that were left at the end were very clearly not the fittest runners in the field. They were the two mentally toughest with the most resilient bodies. And the one guy got done and he sat on the chair and he's like, yeah, I haven't been doing any hill running because I was training for a flat something. I'd like to come back next year and better fitness. And it was just bizarre to think that you could make it second place in a major backyard ultra without a ton of fitness. But his joint resiliency was so high. He's like, yeah, my my uh, my back, my hamstrings, they were getting kind of bad, but my quads were pretty much okay." And I just thought. 122 laps of 400 feet steep descents and his quads are okay. Like yeah, that's a skill 
not a fitness, if that makes sense. A hundred percent agree. It's it's an interesting point because you hear ultra runners like I often feel it is like who didn't puke that race or who was able to keep things in and just that I mean, yeah. some of my friends I know is just like, yeah, if I can figure out how I can just not puke mid stride and like, you know, not do these type of skill things, then I'm okay. Like my fitness is there. My legs feel fine. But yeah, that's amazing. Like quad. <laughs> There's a line you have to ride where as your level of fitness rises, your resiliency starts to drop after a while. Mm-hmm. And so being the fittest coming into a 24 hour or longer race is sometimes an Achilles heel. Yeah. Like knowing I'm hitting my highest metrics and everything means you might DNF. Yeah. You're and that's, that's that a strange component to have. Yeah. Because <laughs> usually it's get to the race as fit as possible. And with the ultra, it's it's not always that. Nope. I would, I would agree. It's almost like not riding that line or just like being a little less like the, the trade-off for having like less fitness but higher immunity or like lower inflammation and things like that is huge in the space of ultra running yeah get to the start line as healthy as possible and sometimes you want to feel a little sloppy going in like i i need to go work hard for a while because i feel kind of uh frumpy right now i feel like that plays to an advantage in a long race versus feeling lean fit and tenacious but um we're near our we're nearing our time here, so I just want to know. Um, sounds like we know you're you're doing the rest of the year, your U.S. National Series, and Broken Arrow. Um, anything else that we didn't touch on that you have coming up? Nope, that's it. Uh, May yeah, North Americans in Tahoe, and then that's probably gonna be. We'll see what happens from there, but nothing else. <laughs> Are there any, um, I guess, side question, just out of curiosity, are there any, uh, is it tough now to keep coming across the border and going back in your case, or is it pretty seamless now? It's not seamless. I'm fully vaccinated, so I can get across with, as long as I have an isolation plan for the three, like in the event I do test positive, and you have to have two negative COVID tests in order to, one going there and one coming back. So Got it. Okay. Yeah, it's a not pain, but it's, reasonable. Yeah, like you don't have to pay two thousand dollars to stay in a hotel anymore, so <laughs> or isolate for fourteen days. So that's like super exciting. Where I live, come July first, we're supposed to be like technically back to normal. Um. So hopefully, I ha- I don't have to do anything. <laughs> so we'll see. Okay. Ho- yeah. Hopefully, the virus gets the July first memo. Yeah. Exactly. It's over with. It's just oh, it's frustrating <laughs> at this point as we all. Yeah, no. It has a July 1st half-life is what I think. So everything, like in Canada Day is July 1st, and it's just going to be a massive, massive party. Like no mask anymore. Like we're all allowed to socialize. It's Canada Day. Everybody's off. Like it's just like we're going to have the Canada Day, the Canada Day variant after this. And then and then in Calgary, <laughs> we throw like this massive stampede, and that's following that. And it's just going to be – hopefully we don't have a fourth wave. <laughs> All the U.S. racers are hoping that you, Emma, everyone shows up to that same Calgary Day celebration and has to miss out on on North Americans. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. Uh, We'll see, hopefully. Um, Anyone you want to thank? Who's all helping you? Who's part of your support crew? uh, Well, the OCR Dream Team, for sure. Um, Great coaching. They're they're part of my team. And just everyone involved with the, the Dream Team. It's been, it's a huge, like, 
being a part of a team is like so nice in the sense like I probably wouldn't have made the effort to go to Utah if I didn't have a, a team incentive to to want to be there. Um, so it's been awesome. Great. And where can people uh, follow along with you? Uh, I'm on Instagram. Uh, Ariel Fitz 22 uh, is where I'm where I'm at. Lots of mountains, lots of snow because there's always snow. <laughs> and uh, that's about it. <laughs> Right on. I think there's um, there's a you're one of the the handful. There's a crew of women that I'm very excited to see how performances play out in this next month or two. And you're one I'm going to be. My eyes are going to look for right away in the results Aww. come Utah. No pressure, but just let no you know. no pressure. All right, I'll uh, I'll do I'll do what I can do. I do my best. It's climbing. It's a lot of climbing. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Well, Ariel, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for, for sharing your story and giving people a reason to root for you. Thank you both. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Ariel. Take care.